It is game day for the Vancouver Canucks, but everyone is waiting for something to happen off the ice. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by my co-host Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who is on the road covering the team in Columbus. Of course, you can read Drancer's work at The Athletic covering the Vancouver Canucks as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. And, Drancer, it is game day, as I said. The Canucks will play the Columbus Blue Jackets this afternoon at 4 Pacific time. Uh, of course, you can catch it all here on 650, pregame with the People Show. I'll be doing intermission and postgame uh, with Satyar Shah tonight. Excited for that. But I'm not sure I can remember a Canucks game day recently where the game itself felt less relevant than this game against the Columbus Blue Jackets today. Because normally, <laughs> in, in, a, in the normal course of action, covering an NHL team and ta- having a show dedicated solely to one NHL team on game day, you know the drill. You know what we'd be doing, right? We're talking about, okay, how they how they line up in morning skate today. Now, there was no morning skate for the Canucks. Who's starting in goal? What's the matchup with the other team? And I do want to talk about Columbus throughout the course of the show because I think they are an interesting team and a bit of an interesting contrast with the Vancouver Canucks. But the, the actual game tonight, it's nowhere near, nowhere near the biggest story going on with the Vancouver Canucks right now. There is so much swirling uncertainty and dysfunction around this club. There is so much gloom in terms of the atmosphere and overall environment. And, you know, the Canucks could come out and put in a great performance and win tonight. And it wouldn't really cool the waters at this point. You know, no, we were talking before the road trip and I was like, "Ah, you know, they could win three or four games on this trip. And hey, that is still in play. (laughs) But you know, my point was it wouldn't matter. We, sh- we shouldn't be buying into how that changes the plot line around this club, which is that it's not good enough. And now I think already, following what happened in Pittsburgh, I just think there's no chance that that narrative fl- flips, no matter how well the club's per- club performs over the next four games or tonight. And, you know, we're at a point now where it's being widely reported that the club is doing diligence on candidates – yeah, to replace key organizational leaders, right? I mean, we, we kind of know that another shoe is going to drop at some point, and it's just kind of fascinating to watch it play out or or not play out as you prefer right. at this juncture. Play out in, in incredible slow motion, which I know is something, you know, Jeff Merrick, who of course hosts the Jeff Merrick show every day, 9 to 11 here on 650. That's what he's said a few times, that it feels like watching a, a slow motion car crash in a sense, right, where you know the ending, but it's just taking a long time to get there 650 650 by the way is the Dunbar Lumber text line the smart alternative visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com 650 650 get your text in and as you said Drancer you know going into this road trip there was still the sense that hey you know what in the eyes of ownership in the eyes of management a really good trip here a good performance three wins you know four wins whatever the case is okay maybe it buys everyone a little bit of time, it does feel like the performance in Pittsburgh, and even more than the performance, the aftermath and the media availabilities, and we've seen JT Miller's responses get so much traction, Bo Horvat and Travis Green as well were kind of notably frustrated and out of sorts in those media availabilities. It feels like everything that happened on Wednesday in Pittsburgh, 
that ship has sailed. The idea of one or two wins in a row or even a good five-game road trip buying time, it feels like that out, that's out the window now. And as you said, we're all just kind of waiting to see what changes are going to happen and when they're going to happen. That's been reported by you know, Satyar Shah at our station. Uh, Elliot Friedman in his 32 Thoughts blog yesterday said, you know, everyone in the organi- organization knows changes are coming, whether in the front office, on the bench, or on the ice. They are coming. The question is the timetable. That's from Fried- Friedman in his blog last night. I mean, I, I want to talk about some of the specific candidates here that that were-, were being floated or were out there yesterday. What's your sense of... The timetable. I know that's a tricky question, right? Because I'm sure there are many people. <laughs> yeah. There are many people in the organization that would love to have a sense of the timetable. But now that we've kind of entered this stage of things, where the question is no longer if, it's when. It just feels like, man, the hammer has to fall pretty soon here, right? It's hard to keep having game days like this where no one's interested in talking about the actual game. Everyone's only interested in talking about the drama going on behind the scenes. I mean, and well, and, and what is the logic of waiting at this point? You know, uh, that's that's the other part I don't understand. I know there's a lot of reasons why people are saying that it's complicated, right? That people are saying things like, well, you know, th- this was a surprise, which is a, a ridiculous, like an absurdity. And we'll get into that later when we get into the, the Blue Jackets contrast. There's people saying things like, well, you need to vet candidates. And it's like, sure, but you also have credible interim candidates internally if you wanted to make a move just to relieve the tension around the club or do right by some of your people now that it's public the club is considering different options right um you know you have bradshaw in in the organization you have ryan johnson in the organization right bradshaw has coached teams ryan johnson has run a run a hockey club like the day-to-day of a hockey club like you have options available to allow you to you know, make a move and and do right by people and give you the space you need to figure out what's next if you wanted to do it, right? Uh, I mean, then there's the other side that, like, it just doesn't make sense to me why you'd be waiting, why you'd be permitting this stasis to continue. And finally, there's the last one, which is that, you know, well, it might happen after a catastrophe or like a, another performance might really be what gets it done. And it's like the catastrophe has already happened. Yes. It's in the rear view mirror, Several Jane. times, in fact, there's been cat- Several, catastrophic On a nightly basis. Yeah. Yeah, the club's won three of 14 games. They're off to the worst start in franchise history of my lifetime, having just traded a top 10 pick and another first rounder the season prior to build this team. I mean, what what's more catastrophic than that? I, I, I'm, I'm completely, you know, baffled by how this is unfolding. And so what, what's my sense of a timeline? I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea how to gauge what this organization is thinking because all of it looks backwards to me. You know, it's like probably the best exercise at this point to approximate their thinking is to think through the right way to do it and then think through the worst way to do it. And the second time you've gone through the exercise is probably as close as you're going to come to figuring out how this might actually play out. And, you know, just to your point about why, why so much, why is it taking so long, right? And as you said, the due diligence argument is fair. It's fair in respect to hiring the replacements. You definitely don't want to hire replacements for whoever you choose to move on from in a quick, haphazard manner. And there's a a million different reasons for that, right? You know, you, you have to know the type of person you're hiring. You have to do all of the research into their background. You have to make sure they're the right fit. 
All of those reasons. Yes, you should absolutely exercise as much due diligence as you can when you're hiring the replacements. But the the part where I get hung up, as you mentioned, is that doesn't mean you have to let the current people twist in the wind, right? And I, I will admit, and I know this is not something necessarily a lot of Canucks fans want to hear right now because the frustration at Travis Green is extremely high, but I do feel some empathy for Travis Green right now because that's what he's doing. He is twisting in the wind while, you know, credible high-profile names are being suggested in in relation to his job. That's not an easy place to be in. And so I, I understand wanting to do due diligence if you are going to hire replacements. It just feels like you have people you can go to on an interim basis. Why not go to them while you do that due diligence? Now, one name you that know, was out I just there. Want, I just yeah, want go to ahead. jump in on what you just said, which is that it's not just Travis, right? It's nope. the rest of the organization. It's yep. the players themselves. It's everyone in the hockey operations department, and it's Jim Benning as well, right? It's Jim Benning as well. It's not just the, the you know, winds of change blowing around the coach. I think there's real questions within the industry, too, about Jim Benning's future and Jim Benning's autonomy. Um, you know, in the event that a coaching change is made, you know, and, and say it's, you know, the and we'll get into the Claude Julian uh, reports and, and what Elliot Friedman has been talking about and reporting shortly, but like if if a coaching change is made like that, is it an endorsement of the Benning era? Doesn't it need to come attached to that, right? And if it's not a, a Benning leading that process, then you know that there's bigger questions about why the organization has done what they are going to do. Should it play out without you know? Should the if the way that this plays out is a big name coach coming in, it, that needs to come attached to you know a clarification that the organization stands behind, believes in, and will continue to follow Jim Benning's vision for constructing this team. And absent that, I don't see how you can bring in or even consider a big name coach. Like that's having it backwards. That's letting the tail wag the dog. Yeah. And we will play a a clip from Elliot Friedman speaking on the 32 Thoughts podcast uh, just this morning in just a second. But yeah, the reason I singled out Travis Green for, you know, having an extra bit of empathy is just he's out there. He's out there the most often, even more frequently than any individual player, right? He's talking to the media. He's got to talk to the media in a couple of hours. And that's after a day all day yesterday where people are talking about is Claude Julian coming in or would they consider Bruce Boudreaux? You know, what's going on? Are they reaching out? And he's got to go talk to the media about this game against Columbus today. Again, I know the Canucks fans you know, are not feeling particularly charitable to the coaching staff, to anyone in the organization right now. But that is a tough, tough position uh, for anyone to be in. Now, as you said, uh, Drancer, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, you know, every time those guys get together, the first thing they talk about is the Vancouver Canucks because it is one of the biggest stories around the NHL this morning. Today on the podcast, here's what Friedman had to say specifically about Claude Julian, but also about where the team's due diligence, where the process stands as of right now. I think they're looking at all options. You know, they have Brad Shaw. If they wanted to go internal behind the bench, they could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they wanted to go interim general manager, they could do Stan Smeal or they could do Ryan Johnson, who's a guy who a lot of people think has a very bright future. But I do think they're also considering going outside. And one of the reasons I think some names are starting to get out there, some rumors are starting to get out there, is because they are asking about people. And honestly, the most difficult thing on Thursday was trying to separate fact from fiction. Like, what's real and what isn't? And I think the one that is potentially real 
is Claude Julian. I think that's a possibility. Now, does that mean that Jim Benning stays because they've got a history with them if they decide to go that route? I don't know that. But I do think he is one of the people that they have at least thought about, does this make sense for us? Mm -hmm. And they would get permission from Montreal if they haven't already. Julian's in the final year of his contract. So that's Elliot Friedman on the 32 Thoughts podcast with Jeff Merrick talking about Claude Julien as a potential replacement behind the bench for the Vancouver Canucks if they do decide to move on from Travis Green saying it's he thinks it's real. And I, I know, Drancer, you were hearing uh, a lot of the same things yesterday. I know you spent some of your day trying to chase down that report. So it does sound like there's something there, like that's a real possibility. And look, I think... I think Julian's a really, really good hockey coach. I, I think his record speaks for himself in that respect. I mean, I know he was just fired from Montreal last year. Then they went on a great run. I don't exactly hold that against him. That kind of thing happens. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of teams that would be very smart to go out and hire Claude Julian. But as you said, the process leading up to a move of that magnitude still has to be correct. And... With the information we have right now about how the Canucks are going about it, we don't know exactly what that process would look like. Yeah, I, I'm with you, by the way. I think Claude Julian's a really good coach, like a really good coach. I know that there's former players who have played for him and former Canucks forward Dale Weiss has criticized him on Twitter. Um, but I really do believe that Claude Julian's one of those coaches that dramatically and instantly improves most teams that he's hired by his five-on-five game. And so, yeah, I mean, there's real value there. Um, I, you know, it'd be complicated because he is still under contract with the Habs, yep. right? Permission would have to be granted. And then there's a negotiation in terms of the offset. And those are complicated talks. And, you know, we have a text in from the um, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Nailed it. Yes. Um, the coaching change depends on results, says the unsigned texter. If the team turns it around, how can you turf Benning? And, you know... I see that logic, but the problem is, is that you don't hire Julian as an interim for the rest of the season. You're no. committing years. And so if you're not committed to the direction, the, the wider direction of the franchise, if you don't fully support that vision, then why are you saddling whoever the next guy is with a coach they didn't hire for several years at like a high price point, especially in an era when every coach is seeing their salary, like the year of the, the, the times of the five times $5 million coach are kind of done in the industry, right? So, you know, it becomes difficult to understand why the club would take that approach now. And and again, you can't have that backwards process from the top down. Like you, you have to win in the boardroom before you can win on the ice. And in so many situations over the course of the past few years, one thing that's characterized Canucks decision-making is getting it backwards, is, you know, letting Jim Benning into the final cycle of his deal before he was extended and having him make the JT Miller trade, right? It's having Travis Green work the last year of his contract, um, you know, with all of the incentives to win, win, win and maximize your record right down to a bunch of games played after the playoffs had already begun that the team wins a ton of and sort of soars their draft positioning further. I mean, it's, it's, permitting a general manager who the perception of in the industry at the moment is that they're a lame duck, right? It's permitting them to hire a big name coach should that be the route that this club decides. It does not make sense, Jamie. It is exactly backwards. And again, no matter what you do, even if you hire the right guy, if it's done the way, done with twisted process, that's always going to matter more at the end of the day 
in terms of shaping this club's ability or, or persistent inability, as we've seen over the course of the past decade, to compete in this league. There are too many well-run franchises. There are too many smart teams for the Canucks to conduct their business this way and succeed, period, period. Well, That's the big challenge. And That's again, the big yeah. thing I'm looking for. And, and it's not about Julian as a coach, right? As you and I both agree, really, really good coach. There's a ton of NHL teams that he could help and that he could, you know, help get them to where they ultimately want to go as a franchise. The Canucks could very well be one of them. But if there's still a chance that you move on from Jim Benning, you know, later this year at the same time that you do the Julian move, whatever the case is. And look, all the reporting we're hearing suggests that's very much a possibility, right? In that Elliot Friedman clip that we just heard from the 32 Thoughts podcast, he said they're considering everything. They're considering the front office. They're considering adding a president. They're considering changes behind the bench, on the ice. They're considering everything. So moving on from both Jim Benning and Travis Green, as far as we can tell, very, very much on the table. And Julian can be a great coach, but that doesn't mean his vision for how a hockey team should operate and his vision for what he wants the Canucks to be is going to align with whoever the next general managers is, right? And then if that's the case, right away, as you say, Drance, you know, you've got friction at the top. You don't have the right alignment that you need top to bottom in the organization to move forward. So, again, in a vacuum, yeah, Claude Julian makes a ton of sense for this team. You're not going to find a lot of guys with a better resume. He, he, he is a, a very legitimate option to consider. But if it means okay, this is buying Jim Benning a little bit extra time and we're letting him make this decision, this kind of decision. I'm not sure how you can how you can look at that as the right outcome for the Canucks right now. Uh, lots of texts coming in, 650-650. This one uh, comes in, couldn't you hire Julian on an interim basis for just the rest of this year? And the answer is he's not going to accept that, right? Like Claude Julian yeah, no. can demand a much, not much realistic. better deal than that, right? If you want to lure him you're going to have to give him a lot of term and a lot of money to get him here. He has that stature as a coach. It is. Yeah. That that's, you don't, I mean, there are situations where like the jets hired Reese as an interim originally. Right. And then hired him full time at the end of the season. I mean, Paul Maurice was pretty established head coach at that point. I think he'd like already yeah. coached a thousand games cause he's been around forever. Right. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of situations like that. And Julian as has Hockey Canada commitments coming up next month and is still being paid by the Montreal Canadiens for at least a couple of years, like at least this year and next. So what's his incentive to take a one, like, in fact, accepting a one-year deal might complicate his ability to get paid his full amount. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's not a realistic possibility. So no, not, not. Not possible. If you're bringing in a big-name coach, you're committing to that big-name coach. And the question that you have to ask yourself first is, before you do that, is, is this our GM? Is Jim Benning our GM next offseason? Is he calling the shots next offseason? Is he calling the shots now and through the deadline? And if the answer to those questions is yes, then then go ahead, pursue a big-name coach. If the answer to that question is no or we'll see at the end of the year, then it makes no sense to do that. Period. And so the organization has to make a decision up top first before they can properly address the coaching situation unless the decision is to promote Brad Shaw as an interim. Um, and that that may be how this plays out. But, 
you know, if that's how this plays out, then that to me shows a, a willingness to kick the ball down the road and a deferral of, of imagination and, and seriousness in terms of solving the, the bigger problems ailing this club. And, you know, I'm not going to tell our listeners that that's sensible or sufficient, especially with where this club is at, what the talent level indicates, and how they've performed to this point. Yeah, you're making a massive – if you do that move, right, if you hire Claude Julien but leave Jim Benning in charge, and in fact – you know, give him a public vote of confidence that the move would imply anyways, you're making a massive bet that Claude Julien is going to, you know, just unlock an entirely new level than what we've seen from this roster anytime recently. And look, a text comes in, it says, look at Calgary boys, they hired a big name coach. Where are they now? I understand that, but I mean, first of all, Calgary wasn't performing as poorly, anywhere near as performly, uh, as poorly as the Canucks are when they were being coached by Jeff Ward. And I just don't think you can expect that to be the norm, right? You can't, you can't say, oh, we're going to hire Claude Julian, and then he'll lead us right to the top of the standings, just like it happened for Daryl Sutter in Calgary. Well, that, that's you yeah, can't just also, assume that's going to happen. But also, there's no comparison in competence between Travis Green and Jeff Ward. Like, yeah, Jeff Ward. Jeff Ward's handling of the goaltending situation in the bubble and throughout the 2021 season is one of the like standout examples of ruining a backup goaltender's confidence, right? And then sort of furthering that issue by overworking your starter. Like th- that's never been something that this Canucks team has dealt with under Green. Like there has never been any example of gross negligence on that level from, from this coaching staff. Period. Period. Right? So the expectation when you move from someone making those types of errors to Daryl Sutter, who for me is one of the best five-on-five coaches in hockey, is going to be enormous. The gulf between Travis Green and Claude Julian is going to be lesser than that considerably. Not to mention, you know, all the other factors for why it's not necessarily going to be a, you know, velvet glove fit like it was for Sutter and Calgary. So for me, I just sort of don't really buy that analogy uh, at all. And, you know, the other thing you're going to see, I do think, is Green have real options, should he be fired, um, that Jeff Ward won't, right? And that's going to be all you need to know. And and fans will fill up the 650-650 inbox with claims that that's not true or, you know, claims that we're protecting the Canucks' head coach. But, look, time will tell, right? Like, the good thing about sports is that you have to be accountable for your bad takes, like mine that Elias Pettersson's on the verge of a breakup. Um, you know, yeah, like reality knocks quickly in pro sports, right? It's why this team is in the, you know, the muck the way they are as opposed to, you know, the way, the way that they were projected to be in July when people were feeling optimistic about their direction, right? Yep. Reality bites, reality knocks in sports, um, on, on a very regular basis, like every second day when you play and the same will be true on the coaching, on the sort of coaching side, I think anyone hoping for a Sutter-type bounce in Vancouver is going to be sorely disappointed, both because of the quality of this roster and because the gap between Green and any of the big-name replacements just isn't as big as some of the coaching staff's detractors in this market would like to pretend it is. Yeah, and Elliot Freeman, and by the way, I've, I've never had a bad take myself, so I can't really relate to what you're describing, Drancer, but I, I take the point theoretically anyways. Um, but Friedman himself said that on the uh, on the 32, po- 32 Thoughts podcast, right? If Green gets fired, he's going to get another job. That's the belief 
in the industry. And, and Friedman was relaying something somebody else in the NHL had said to him about Travis Green. So that is not a unique to Vancouver perspective about Travis Green whatsoever. Uh, another thought, and this has come in in different forms a couple of times on the potential of the Canucks bringing in Claude Julien to replace Travis Green. Uh, unsigned texter, Bruins leftovers? No thanks. Been there, done that. Maybe we could get a, another press conference uh, or we could get the Boston model back into conversation. Remember that, Drancer, the Boston model? Maybe we can revive that one here if, if Claude Julien comes in. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like, the meat and potatoes <laughs> era of Canucks hockey has had very little meat and even fewer potatoes. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I don't, I don't know what the equivalent, what the uh, Thanksgiving food stuff equi- equivalent of this era of Canucks hockey is, but probably not meat and potatoes. Uh, quickly, just before we go to break, we'll talk about Columbus on the other side, but should mention a couple of people have texted in about it. Former Vancouver Canuck, Adam Gaudet, now playing for the Chicago Blackhawks, was placed on waivers. And hey, there you go. A, a young right-handed center available. It's exactly oh what the Canucks goodness. need, right? Even, right, Drancer? Don't even go there. No chance. Yeah, zero no, chance. Zero chance. Zero chance. We've had a couple questions come in and uh, it's not happening. It's absolutely not happening. The Canucks are not going to claim Adam Gaudet, there's a reason they traded him in the first place. Um, Okay, as we said, there is a game tonight against the Columbus Blue Jackets between the Vancouver Canucks in Columbus. We are going to talk about it next and specifically a little bit about the contrast between this Columbus team and the Vancouver Canucks. 650-650, we'll continue to read your texts as well. Get them into the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll be back with lots more. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It's the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650 on your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here for another half hour. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, avenuemachinery.ca. And don't forget, if you enjoy the show, you can find it in podcast form wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast, subscribe, rate, leave a review. It helps the show a lot, and we really appreciate it. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Lots of great texts coming in, Drancer. Just before we get to the Columbus Blue Jackets and the matchup tonight between them and the Canucks, I want to read some of them. And first, I I thought an interesting question from Ian in Coquitlam, who says, how come we don't hear... Uh, Abbotsford Canucks head coach, and of course, formerly formerly the coach when the team was in Utica as well. How don't we? How come we don't hear Trent Cull getting considered for the interim coaching job? Do you feel he would be a fit? That was a name that actually came up between Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast this morning. But I don't know about you. I get the sense that they're more looking in the Claude Julian direction right where it's a big name coach someone with a lot of pedigree who has a certain amount of stature rather than somebody who would be getting their first shot in the NHL yeah I I mean I do think so and but in a question of interims between Trent Cull and and Bradshaw I suppose it's a pick them the the difference being that you know of course in Shaw's case he's been an NHL head coach right he has NHL head coaching experience Um, he's also been a head coach at the AHL as his call and he's been an associate coach right, with the St. Louis Blues for four years under Ken Hitchcock's uh, guidance and leadership. So, you know, I, I just think the track record is longer in Shaw's case. Shaw's also in a position where he doesn't really have a portfolio, 
right? I mean, he doesn't run the power play, doesn't run the PK, and he doesn't have the title of associate coach in Vancouver. Um, you know, I, I I do think that that's probably been a bit of an odd fit, but it just seems so natural that he'd be the guy to hide in that I think it just overshadows the concept of call as a candidate in, in on an interim basis. Yeah, when you have a guy, as you said, with NHL head coaching experience already on the bench, that's a really, really, who's already with the team around them every day. Right, That's a really easy move to make if you do go in the direction of needing to bring in an interim head coach. As you said, it's just a, a very natural fit potentially there. Uh, some other ones come in. This one gave me a laugh. This feels like we're going through a lobotomy, but we have to watch and feel everything going on. Uh, ben from Kitts says you, know, you, were, you were outlining what the logical response you thought would be in this situation, Drancer. And Ben from Kitts says logic and the Canucks should not be used in the same sentence together. And then another one that's coming. I disagree though. <laughs> I disagree with that though, right? We have to, we have to, you cannot in covering this team. It's, it's so easy to do, but you cannot buy into some of the underlying assumptions. Like it's really important that we hold to a standard that, you know, is applied elsewhere and applied to other organizations and applied across professional sports in terms of, how we break down and what we accept as like a fair assumption and not a fair assumption. I mean, even in discussing this, uh, you know, over the course of the past 10 days, which has been pretty hard to do, a lot of insiders have been like, you know, oh, they're, they're going to be patient, right? They're going to be patient. They need to take their time because they're surprised by this. And it's like, that's not an assumption we should accept. It might be true. That might be how they feel, but that's not something that we should deem as acceptable, right? Like that's not something we can accept or should necessarily, um, you know, uh, ground our discussion based on that idea, because it makes, it's, it's wild. Like it, it's not the stuff that leads to winning in this league. And the other texts that have, that's come in quite a few times from different listeners, you know, Tom on the Island suggests bringing in Jim Rutherford as president, lots of other texts calling for a president of hockey operations to come in, let that person make the long-term moves beyond uh, just, you know, hiring interns for the remainder of the season. And look, we were talking about the reasons why, you know, patience doesn't make necessarily make a lot of sense for some of the moves the Canucks are considering right now. But I do want to be clear. I have no problem with the team going out and hiring a president of Hockey Ops. It probably makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm not going to get into the different candidates right now because it's, it's largely hypothetical and theoretical at this point. But that move is absolutely one where you should exercise patience and do all of your due diligence and all of your information gathering and be really, really sure you have the right guy before you pull the trigger, right? That is the kind of move that you absolutely cannot afford to get wrong. So I understand the desire. Okay, hey, make the move right now and bring in Guy X on Monday to be the president of Hockey Ops. But if you're gonna, if, if there's any time to be patient in this situation, it's making sure you hire the right guy for that job. Well, for sure, but also... You know, like in the 80s, and I know it feels like the 80s because the Canucks are in the news for the wrong reasons and the teams from Alberta are ascendant, right? Um, and, and there's more goals being scored than we're used to in the NHL. Uh, so yeah, fair enough. You know, I, actually, if you go outside too, there's lots of baggy pants. There's a lot of 80s vibes around this Canucks yes. season. Yes. But, you know, the Canucks spent like years looking for a hockey czar. In the 80s. That was like, we're looking for a hockey czar, which was like the president of hockey ops before that was a thing. And, you know, ultimately when they finally landed one, they did so in a way that, 
you know, barred him from coaching for several years because um, he accepted money from the club prior to leaving his job as the coach of the Los Angeles Kings. Like it was nailed it, you know, ham ham fisted in the extreme. And, and in the interim, they had, you know, a, a general manager in Jack Gordon, who was never heard of us, but uh, made the Cam Neely trade. And, you know, it was it was kind of a train wreck, um, you know, not to draw too straight a line between the two situations, but while you do have to wait, I do think like you do have to do your due diligence and you do have to be deliberate about making the right hire for a president of hockey operations. That doesn't mean you can just allow this situation to fester, right? And and should you decide to, should you opt to go in that, uh, you know, day by day kind of stasis approach that the club seems to be uh, pacing toward at the moment, like that doesn't make it right. Just because you have to be deliberate doesn't mean that the right thing to do is nothing now. Doesn't mean that you, you know, patience is fine. Delusion is fine, but there's a way to be patient correctly too. And that's another area where as we watch this situation unfold in slow motion, you know, it's baffling to understand some of the thought process behind it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's just a bizarre time. I really can't, I can't remember another time since I've been following this team where the sense of, uh, you know, as I said off the top of the show, it, it just feels like tonight's game is so secondary to everything happening off the ice and just the the sense of almost dread that you can feel from everyone in the organization and the fans of wondering when is this going to happen? What is actually going to happen? It's really unlike anything I can remember following this team. 650-650, keep your texts coming in. We'll get to as many as we can for the rest of the show. But I do want to turn our attention to the Canucks opponent tonight, the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, you know, look, we had uh, when you were kind of sizing up this road trip a few weeks ago or even at the beginning of the season, you probably had this game circled and said, hey, not a back-to-back early in the road trip. They should still be feeling pretty good. It's against a Columbus team that a lot of people didn't rate too highly coming into the season. This should be a game that the Canucks have circled as one they need to result in. Right now, obviously, with the state of the Canucks, you can't really look at any team like that right now with the performances they're turning in game after game. But even beyond the Canucks and their, you know, underwhelming performances, the Blue Jackets are playing pretty good hockey right now, right? They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're fourth place in the Metropolitan, which is a very, very tough division. They've got a positive goal differential. They're sitting in a playoff spot right now, 22 points through 17 games. And... I just the more I look at this organization and where the Blue Jackets are, it feels like a really interesting contrast to what the Canucks are. Because I look at that Blue Jackets team and think right now, and look, maybe you think they're going to fall out, the bottom's going to drop out of this, they're not going to compete for a playoff spot. I think they have a chance to stay in the mix. I don't think I would pick them to make the playoffs right now, but I think they have a chance to stay in the mix. But right now, they're getting the most out of their talent, right? They are more than the sum of their parts at the moment, and we all know. The Canucks are the exact opposite. The Canucks right now are so much less than the sum of their parts. And I think it makes it a really interesting matchup between two teams where the vibes, Drancer, could just not be more different right now between these two teams. Well, and the approach would be more different. I'm... All right, we lost Thomas Drance there. Uh, we'll try to get him reconnected momentarily as soon as we can, but just continuing to look at the Canucks matchup versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then also we're getting lots of questions uh, coming in about potential replacements in the Canucks front office. Whatever chances Mike Gillis comes back as president of hockey ops, I would say not particularly high that that happens. 
you know, we've had other people suggest, hey, what about you bring John Tortorella back for a year to kind of whoop these players into shape for the remainder of the season? And look, on both of those suggestions, without even going into the the merits of either person in their job, I will just say briefly before we get Thomas Drance back involved in the conversation here, at some point, let's move beyond people who already have ties to the Canucks organization, right? And I understand, look, Mike Gillis was the most successful general manager this team has had, took the team to an incredible place. At a certain point, we do have to move beyond people who have worked for the Vancouver Canucks or played for the Vancouver Canucks in the past. That's all I'll say right now about that. Drancer, we've got you back on the line, and you were just saying, you know, the contrast between the approach of the Blue Jackets and the Canucks is very stark for you. Who are you talking about in the Gillis organization, though? Oh, well, people are just, uh, you know, we're getting tons of suggestions for, could they hire this person as coach? Could they hire this person as right. president? Gillis, Torts are, are coming up, right? And I, I, it's, not even <laughs> okay. about, it's not about the merits of any of those suggestions. <laughs> it's just about there are other people in the hockey universe. You know what I mean? Like I It does just think, have to be other uh, former Canucks players and staffers. I think I saw someone say the Canucks need the late Pat Quinn. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're we're really reaching into Canucks history here. Okay, yeah. here's the contrast. I, re- I do want to get into this because I think it's an important one. The Blue Jackets and the Canucks have reached not the same place in terms of their results because the Blue Jackets have eight more points than Vancouver does. But But in terms of true talent, I think they're roughly equivalent, right, this season. And yet the way that they both got there could not be more distinct. In particular, right? Over the summer, the Blue Jackets decided to take a long view toward what they needed to do following the departures of Panarin and Bobrovsky, following another season that went awry, following the departure of another group of, you know, key young players that ultimately didn't want to commit to the organization long term and Josh Anderson and and Pierre-Luc Dubois, that they needed to, you know, make some moves that maybe made them worse in the interim for the benefit of the long-term health of the organization. And in particular, they made the Seth Jones trade to Chicago. And and the Seth Jones trade ends up returning Bockvist and a, a whole bunch of other stuff. The pick that they used to take Sillinger, who's playing really well for that club. Um, you know, also Chicago's first round pick. And I've got another take on that that we'll get to in a bit. The Blue Jackets now are in the mix in a playoff race, but everything they did in the summer suggests that no matter how close they get, they're not going to buy. They're not going to buy. In fact, they're more likely to sell. They're more likely to look at expiring contracts on guys like Corpusalo and Max Domi and probably chop them on at the trade deadline. Um, the Blue Jackets have done that, have, have intentionally and wisely taken a step back for the benefit of their long-term future. And in so doing, not only did they not get worse on the ice than they performed last year, but they're actually more fun to follow and more interesting there's actually more vibrancy around the club than there might otherwise have been if they'd rolled back with the same group. And the process that they went through, that process of making real forward-looking, rebuilding moves is that this organization's been like terrified to do over the past eight years with an incredible level of consistency. And it's proof that you can kind of do it. Like, Would the Canucks have been worse if they'd made some long-sighted moves this offseason, like would they be in a war yeah. in worse straits? No. And in fact, they'd be more fun to talk about, cover, and follow, and probably play for than they are right now, having pushed all their chips into a team that, you know, even if they performed to the absolute apex of their abilities, was still probably a playoff bubble team. And the comparison, even the, the one that stands out for me is Cole Sillinger, right? And 
you know, he's 18 years old. They just picked him in the in the most recent draft. He's got eight points through 17 games. He's playing a meaningful, real role and contributing to them winning hockey games as an 18-year-old. And he would have been on the board if the Canucks had kept their first-round pick this year, right? Of course, they traded ninth overall to Arizona. Now, we have no idea who the Canucks would have picked if they'd been in that position. It's no, there's no guarantee that they would have kept Cole Sillinger up with them, that he would be performing the same way if the Canucks had had it had it gone on to make that pick but it just shows you Columbus is already reaping the benefits of that Seth Jones trade which is as you said you know a, a forward thinking move they're already reaping the benefits on the ice and they're just going to keep doing so because Cole Sillinger is going to get better Adam Bokvist is going to get better they have Chicago's first round pick this year as well which is going to be a <laughs> which great could pick. defer it's going to be which a could great defer. Pick. yes exactly and it could be it could defer and be unprotected in the Connor Bedard year yeah and how good do you think Chicago's going to be next season yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yikes. That's that might be the best asset in hockey. And I just look at, you know, they're they're doing that in Columbus, which you know, brings a certain degree of difficulty to building a franchise, right? Because a lot of the moves they've made to be fair, they've kind of had to do them because as you say, players don't necessarily want to commit long-term to Columbus, right? There are are we going to be able to sign Seth Jones to an extension that makes sense for us? Are we going to be able to keep Pierre-Luc Dubois? They have to make those moves. But they've been able to remain competitive this year while also building for the future. And it is a real contrast for me to the Vancouver Canucks. And I just look at their profile on the ice even. Okay, you know, they're, they're basically an average five-on-five team. Their, their expected goal share at even strength is right at 50%, just a hair under. They've got decent, not great special teams. 13th best power play in the league. 12th best penalty kill. That's really, you know, that's good. And fantastic goaltending. And, you know, that's something that that might have been the best version of the Canucks this year, right? Average five on five, you get great penalty power play and acceptable penalty killing and then great goaltending from Thatcher Demko. That that might have been the best possible version of the Vancouver Canucks. They're obviously not coming anywhere close to doing it, but the Blue Jackets are getting the buy in that they need to fulfill their potential to get the most out of the talent they have. And it's really striking to me because when we talk about culture, right, and buy-in and all of these things, we always look at the the marquee franchises in the NHL, right? Like Tampa has an incredible culture. Boston has had an amazing culture with Pat- Patrice Bergeron there for so long. You know, Washington, Pittsburgh, these teams have these superstars that have built the program and they're always competitive. They've won Stanley Cups. Columbus isn't that at all. You know, Columbus, hey, they beat Tampa in that. They swept Tampa in that series. That's an awesome accomplishment. That's a great moment for a team like the Blue Jackets. That's really all they've done. They are not, in by any stretch, a marquee, you know, historically successful franchise. But they've found a way to get the buy-in. They've found a way to develop the culture where they're able to get the most out of their talent. And if a team like Columbus can do it, there's no reason that the Vancouver Canucks should not be able to do it. But it's just consistently eluded them this year yeah and and i think you know the 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 way forward now is to look at the blue jackets and not look at how they've performed but look at how they've structured things look at how they're building for what's next look at the aggression that they showed in making some of the moves that they did now i want to come back to that seth jones trade and particularly that blackhawks pick right because it's not just that the blue jackets negotiated well and maximized their return in trading Seth Jones. It's not just that. It's that they traded Seth Jones and bet against a Blackhawks team that had no sense of where they were going, right? They they bet against a Blackhawks team yeah. that for some reason thought they were playoff bound 
and weren't close. And that bet has paid off in spades. Now, I believe that pick is only protected if the Blackhawks actually win the lottery in, in either the first or the second hole for the pick. So most likely it's just a high pick this year. But there is a chance that it defers and and defers to the loaded class headlined by Connor Bedard next year. And, oh boy, what a great spot to be in for the Blue Jackets. Like, the gift that keeps on giving. And, and you know, as we talk about the idea that this organization is surprised by how the season's unfolded, you know, among the many people who are not surprised, right, are the industry itself. And when you look at the JT Miller trade, the Lightning made a trade with Vancouver on the same, with the same thought process as the Blue Jackets had in the Seth Jones deal. They traded Miller to Vancouver and concurrently bet against the Canucks. And in midseason, yeah. they then used that pick to acquire Blake Coleman from a team that similarly you wanted to bet against the Canucks, like valued that pick at a certain level because they wanted to bet against Vancouver. Now that bet didn't pan out. Vancouver won the, you know, preliminary round in the bubble and that pick converted in the twenties. But the fact that teams looked at this lineup a couple of years ago and thought, Oh, I'd like to bet against them materially in a trade in real time is a massive indictment of this franchise's direction, like massive, right? And it sort of speaks to why it's just flabbergasting that this level of performance has been acceptable for as long as it has. And the idea that it's a surprise needs to be rejected, like a surprise that the clubs perform the way they have, needs to be rejected wholesale by anyone hearing that, whether you're an insider or a fan. Like it makes no sense. (laughs) <laughs> that the club sh- should be blindsided by how they've performed to this point in the season. Uh, and, you know, I, I sort of look ahead to what's next for this club. I look ahead to people saying, like, for example, that the Garland OEL trade was a, was a riotous success for this team, you know, and, and just think to myself, like, would the Canucks be better off? I mean, Sillinger was picked, was on the board when yep. the Canucks pick that they traded to get OEL and, and Garland was there. Would the Canucks be better off with Sillinger or whomever they would have taken, right? And twelve million in cap space opening up this <laughs> next summer in a few months, right? Basically, yeah. Or or Garland and OEL who've both performed well, right? And sort of locked locked into a team that's now harder to improve because of the cap space that they have tied up, but also harder to to dismantle. Like it's harder to be forward looking now with this lineup because of what they've committed. Like that trade did not work, has not worked fundamentally even though Garland's continued to be a top-line rate scorer and Ekman Larson has bounced back to be a credible top 4D. Like, they both performed to the absolute apex of what could have been reasonably expected, and that deal still is a huge problem for this team going forward. I mean, it's just a massive contrast in vision and intentionality between these two organizations going into a game tonight that the Canucks, you know, may well win. They're certainly not overmatched against this Blue Jackets team even though they've outperformed them significantly on the season to this point. Uh, a text came in just as you were talking about that, Drance, or unsigned that says, it sounds insane, but would the Canucks actually have been better without the OEL trade? And the texter says, our PK would be a lot better and all the bad contracts would have been gone the end of the season. I mean, I am sure I am sure Travis Green would love to be able to throw Jay Beagle and Louis Erickson out on the penalty kill right now. And that's not sarcasm or at all for me. That's that's true. He would love to have the option to throw Jay Beagle out, Beagle out there to take a key draw 
on the penalty kill at this point. Uh, Marty the Red texts in, okay, fine, you win. As a lifelong Canucks fan, I am moving my funhood to Columbus. Give me the cannon. Let's go. My fanhood to Columbus. Give me the cannon. <laughs> Let's go. Another one texts in, and I think this is a very fair point. I just want to clarify what I was saying. He says, think we should pump the, pump the brakes on how great Columbus has been with their one playoff round win in franchise history. As much as Davidson was a great ad, and they're going in a nice direction for now, uh, they have no top center, Roslevic not looking great. And that was kind of my point. My point is that the, the Blue Jackets are not a marquee model franchise in the NHL, right? They do not have a storied history of success. To say the least, they have quite the opposite. They have a history of futility and struggling. But they are able to get the buy-in from their players. They are able to have that culture. They are able to all be pulling in the direction and get and be more than the sum of their parts. And it's, again, as I said, it's just such a stark contrast seeing a franchise like the Blue Jackets, who, as the texture points out, don't have this great history to draw on, be able to achieve that when the Canucks, again, in recent years, just have not been able to find that, with the exception of the performance in the bubble. Yeah, I mean banging their head against the wall right and and that'll be true regardless of whether or not this season turns around this that'll be true whether whoever is behind the bench right um in terms of the moves made the direction to assemble this team it's not good enough the proof is in the pudding and i think this club is going through a a lengthy process of of soul searching to figure out what they want to do next um, it's just too bad that the way that they're going about that process is ma- is leaving them looking even less rudderless. And I think further eroding market confidence that they're going to get whatever the next evolution of this franchise looks like right, uh, just based on how it's been handled over the course of the past 10 days to two weeks. And, you know, we'll see what comes next and if that confidence can be restored. But it's going to take an awful lot. And it's not going to take the big name. It's not going to take the big headline. What it's going to take is a process that unfolds in a way that seems sensible and more than anything, like competent and in control. Because right now, the biggest problem as we look at this organization is that everything feels like it's, you know, imploding on a day to day basis. Just like, you know, it's time for something boring almost, something boring, (laughs) disciplined, and workmanlike in terms of building a roster that can win at, at this level consistently. For now, it is the status quo as the Canucks organization is concerned. If that changes, of course, you'll hear it here first on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game show for tonight gets going at 3 o'clock with the guys on the People's Show. Satyar Shah and myself will have your intermission and post-game coverage. Have a great weekend. Drancer and I will be back on Monday at 11 for another edition of the Canucks Hour. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.